Welcome, everybody, to the Silicon Sasquatch podcast. It is episode 63. Uh, We're back after almost three years of an absence, which seems to be um, our habit. Uh, We have had many Game of the Year posts and podcasts over the years, but we haven't had a real traditional podcast in quite a while. So um, joining me today is Doug Bonham. Greetings from Tokyo, where it is just about as cold as over in where you are, I I believe. Yes, and I am Aaron Thayer. I'm over here in Portland for those who haven't uh, listened to us before or it's been a while since you have. Um, Just the two of us today, which will actually be pretty fun. I don't think it's just been you and I on a podcast before, right, Doug? I don't think so. I mean, I I think we've usually tried to get three, but this time we're Mm -hmm. uh, there's, you know, real life and schedules conflict. So it's the two of us and we got a good topic to rap about, I think. Well, not busy adult problems. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, so segueing to our topic, um, we're going to be talking today uh, a lot of things, but sort of the one aftermath of the Capitol riot that occurred this week um, as of this recording. That was on January 6th, just a few days ago. And um, a topic that has come up um, in congruence with that event is, you know, how did we get here? Um, Obviously, lots of people in the media... um, of all kinds are talking about how did we get here. I think any of you listening to this probably have some clear ideas of how we got here. But uh, for our podcast and where, you know, our mission is the intersection of games and culture, we want to sort of revisit a topic that we talked about first um, back in 2014, um, which is related to Gamergate. And that was actually on a different podcast, episode 54, Ethics in a Post-Gamergate World. Um, So we want to tie into this topic of Gamergate, and did that lead us to this moment? Um, did that lead to the Capitol riots? You know, we'll we'll give you our answers and our thoughts on that. Um, but before we begin, kind of wanted to go, go over some of the stats of what has happened uh, in the Capitol for posterity, um, and, you know, just to, to make sure we're all on the same page here, Doug and I. Yep. Um, so, happened this last Tuesday. Um uh, unfortunately, five people died, including one Capitol Police officer. The other four that died were part of the riot. Um, you know, 50 officers injured, 80-plus uh, people arrested, rioters, as of this recording. Um, groups that were there uh, for a Trump rally, actually, and it was his Save America march. Uh, Proud Boys, QAnon, all the usual suspects there in Washington, D.C. to listen to Trump, um, to essentially listen to him say the, continue to say that the election was stolen from him, that he won and uh, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris did not. Um, some of the things he said that really got this whole riot started include uh, quotes like, fight like hell, and to, quote, take back the country. So that sort of tenor, that sort of delivery got people riled up, people that um, are already quite riled up, as we've seen throughout this year with uh, across cities in America, um, uh, Proud Boys fighting here in Portland, um, yes. other states, it, you know, everywhere. Um, the alt-right is very active this year, very violent. And um, if you're looking at history, you're listening to this podcast years later, you know, it'll be an interesting time to look back on. Um Other things that have happened after this riot that uh, Trump spurred on resignations of uh, many of his administration officials, including Betsy DeVos, the education secretary, Elaine Chao, um, transportation, which was actually is actually Mitch McConnell's wife um, and others. So there are also resignations of the Capitol Police, the sergeant at arms for the Senate and the House of Representatives. So there's been quite the fallout of this. Um, One of the bigger pieces is uh, Trump has been banned from social media, including Twitter, Twitch, I believe Facebook too, right? Yep. Um, yeah. <laughs> the list goes on. I had so. I had quite the fun time the other day watching as not just Trump's own personal account, which I've had muted since about 2013 because that joke got old fast. <laughs> um, not just yeah. that account being During banned. During the, the birther movement oh, sort of stuff, God, right? God, yeah. I, We'll talk about that a bit more later, but watching that and as somebody who isn't the, you know, has got some forums experience, it's, it's watching re-regs and alts get also banned. It's like, man, whoever's (laughs) running a Twitter, if they're old enough on the internet, they should put up the red hammer above Twitter. Just to let people know we are playing under F around and find out rules today. Like, 
anything, (laughs) any minor transgression is going to be hammered. And that's a, you know, if if you are old enough on the internet in certain circles, you will know what that red hammer means. It's ban hammer time. (laughs) It it is. That's one of the points that uh, I want us to talk about too, is, you know, this, uh, the effectual or the, the effect of all these social media bans. But yeah, you're right. It's, it's kind of funny to be old um, online people and to have lived through various forums and bands and to see exactly that Trump jumping to the POTUS account or Team Trump or whatever other campaign Twitter accounts he has and, and Twitter saying, no, screw you, dude. Like, no, you're banned. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's that's where we are right now. It's been an unbelievable week in a uh, tenure, a four year term of unbelievable days and weeks. Um, One, you know, this may be. Yeah. Yeah. One quick question for you as the history, history nerd, history geek in American history, sure. not expert, but you know, you have an interest in that. Um, I have a minor in history. Yeah, sure. There you go. Yeah, that works. That's credentials. Um, mm-hmm. We know when the election is, correct? We know that the election always statutory falls in November, correct? Yeah. And yes. as just as observers of history and, and listeners of the news with a keen interest in what happens in our country, we know that there's the election and then the results get certified. Before this had been talked up as a last chance to stop st- the steal of the election, whatever nonsense from the right wing, mm-hmm. had you ever known that this was a date along this path? Like, as a major date or anything that was noteworthy? No, and not to uh, to shit on my University of Oregon history minor, because in fairness, I did specialize in the Russian Revolution, okay. so a yeah. little bit different. But, but uh, no, uh, to answer your question, I had no idea. And even until like maybe two elections ago, I had no idea that the Electoral College worked this way, where even the electors have a certain date that they have to start. Like, yep. I knew there was an Electoral College I didn't know what actually happened. And I didn't even know, to your point, this until this week, that this is another step legally or tr- traditionally or ceremonially on this pr- path to actually having a new president um, yep. s- uh, sworn in in January. So just, again, a bit more historical context that this is kind of this isn't like a traditional date for protest or a traditional date that is noteworthy along like it's not the same way that some of the caucuses are or some mm-hmm. of the or the Republican and Democratic conventions are like those both for good and for bad. But they have high, high press value. And if you're studying civics or if you know about this as an American citizen or if you're looking from the outside in with horror, um, you know what those dates are. You know kind of what they are. This yeah. this meeting of the Senate and the House was just to rubber stamp what had been approved and what had been submitted from the Electoral College. And then it turns into this. Mm-hmm. And now here we are. Yeah, later that day on the 6th, um, when uh, my wife and I were still up and we were watching CNN. So this whole event, like you're saying, Doug, probably was on C-SPAN all this all these years. Oh, sure. It's never been televised otherwise. But this was actual full television, primetime um, on the West Coast, because once every the smoke had cleared, literally, and the senators were and the House were back in session, um, it's just them reading slips and them asking each other, "Does this look informed? Does this look uh, appropriate?" Yes. Are there any objections? No. Usually, there's not. So this, yeah, this but, is this is the driest of dry, boring parliamentary procedure. Yeah. And there's no way to overturn anything anyway. It's all functional. It's ceremonial. This is not a legal case that's that's meant to be had during that procession, yep. too. So, so it was pointless. It was totally pointless. And all of them knew that, I think, as far as the leaders, the the uh, GOP individuals. But, you know, this is what we got. So, so you were like... That's where we are. So I, I want to ask you, like, what... Yeah. About, like, what time was stuff starting to pop off and how did you and your wife because i know you're both working at home given these other unprecedented times of a global pandemic uh-huh. still raging uh what what kind of tripped you off that something was happening um i'll, I'll fill in with my part of the story later but i think sure. you, you were living it as most of our followers and, and listeners will have also followed it yeah yeah and obviously you being uh in japan in a different time zone you were probably asleep while it was happening right or you were, yeah. Well, I'll get there. So, I'll get there. <laughs> okay. Um, so, yeah. 
we were obviously, as you said, working at home. It was about noon uh, Pacific time because everything started happening maybe two or three o'clock Eastern. Uh, and I, I had no idea because that day, um, just, you know, not usually paying attention to the news any more than normal. And then Nick, um, our colleague, had uh, chatted with us, and um, I saw his chat that basically said, oh, the president has incited a riot, um, and there's basically a coup going on. <laughs> so I said, oh, really? Interesting. Um, let's turn on the TV. So, yeah, that, that was, uh, and I think that day Tuesday, actually, um, our son Nolan was home because he had had a fever the day before. So he was so even more reason for me not to be aware of what's going on. Like I've got kids stuff. I've got work also trying to juggle. The world doesn't exist from my perspective. Then Nick says something, turn on the TV and there we are. Yep. So if that's about noon or so Pacific time, um, and that's when things are, are either the the storming of it and and everybody that's there at the capitol has started to break in and things are happening i'm i'm asleep i felt pretty mm-hmm. happy with myself because um on my tuesday because time zones i that was before this all started i was watching also the georgia special senate election mm. Right. And so the, the, the advantage of being awake when the East Coast is asleep, especially for elections, is you're seeing the results kind of tally up and tally in. And it looked like both of the seats were going to be going towards the Democratic candidates who that were That was win. just the day before yes. the riot yes. had happened. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So I'm watching that. And then, okay, the East Coast is kind of waking up by the time I go to sleep. So I'm like, okay, happy as somebody on the left that we're not going to have to have a split house and and senate and we have at least some chance that there will be an ability for a democrat to pretend they're going to do something instead of face a democrat or republican wall in the senate cool yeah and then i wake up and check my phone and there's been a fascist coup attempt (laughs) what 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 was so what was your immediate reaction like how did you process that Um, breaking news so Having watched, and and I guess the best way to summarize it, I've heard from other people as well, is um, shocked but not surprised. Yeah, like we've we're yeah. we're both Oregonians. We've seen what happened in Malheur in Eastern Oregon when the Bundys took that over for about a month, just about mm-hmm. four years ago or so. Um, we've seen armed, similar sort of right wing militias try to take over state capitals. Uh, we saw the absolute, um, pardon the language here, but we saw the absolute slapdick attempt to get the governor of Michigan <laughs> over the summer. Their getaway vehicle was a PT cruiser. I need say not anymore. Um, well, and, and quickly too, like you, you just said, we uh, we're both Oregonians. We know that there's a history of militia activity, especially in the more remote areas of the West Coast. It's not all just the South. It's not all just the crazies yeah. there. But we have a history of that and Nazism and neo-Nazism. Yeah. <laughs> like there, there is this undercurrent that we've grown up with in our history locally that, like you said, uh, shocked um, but not really surprised. Yeah, I, I remember I when I was living in Spokane in junior high school age, um, that was when the neo-Nazis, the actual legitimate neo-Nazis, the goose-stepping and arm-raising neo-Nazis would do marches in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. And then they yeah. got involved in a, I think they've gotten involved in a beating and lo- lost a uh, lost their land. And it's now a Jewish uh, heritage center. It's amazing. Amazing. I love it. I but love it. especially the point, not just the mall here one, but we've seen right-wing nut jobs with and militiamen style or tactical tactical jerks just marching mm-hmm. into state capitals in Kentucky, in Michigan, in, in other places around the country in the past spring or so, whether they're yelling about the politics or yelling about having to wear masks like this, this kind of has been stepping up. So the idea of a big march in Washington, D.C. going to the Capitol, it's chilling to see, but like this isn't coming from zero. Right. So you're kind of segueing into um, the larger topic we're talking about, yeah. the connection to Gamergate, yep. um, if, if there is one, and that's what we'll talk about. So 
like you said, there is a history here within this administration these last four years of these um, increasingly volatile uh, displays of um, right-wing behavior. There has been the undercurrent in history. Um, this riot, of course, didn't come out of nowhere just in the last four years, um, but decades, um, half century more. You know, America as a whole, if you want to go back to the founding, like there's, there are ways to connect to this moment and how we've gotten here. To narrow it to our discussion, this concept of Gamergate, and as a quick reminder, um, you know, that happened in 2014. It was um, involving Zoe Quinn, and, um, you know, you can look up the history here. Uh, it's, it's awful what had happened, but essentially it was a cover to say that it was about ethics in game journalism and reviews and uh, perhaps this individual, Zoe Quinn, um, that they were trading sexual favors for favorable reviews. Uh, and it snowballed from there. Other women in the industry were targeted with hate speech and violent death threats and um, the proponents of Gamergate essentially using it to say that, well, it's their fault, it's their problem, they're just using yada yada. Um, when is there just going to be real true game ethics and journalism quality and just, you know, let's defend the the medium that we love. Total bullshit. Yeah. Um, so that, that was Gamergate. And something that had come in probably immediate day after the Capitol riot was this sentiment, um, I think really well, well painted by an article from um, Aja Romano at Vox called What We Still Haven't Learned from Gamergate. Mm -hmm. And that I think came out just the day after the riot. And it's painting this picture of Gamergate to the riot that is directly connected to and partially responsible for what happened in DC. Now, we can talk more about that, but I'm just curious, Doug, do you think that that is a fair connection or is there something missing from trying to correlate those two things? I, I think there's a correlation. I don't necessarily think that because of Gamergate we have this. I think um, there there is a connection because of the, the tactics and the kind of where they both come from. So... A lot of it, I th well, we can we can go even deeper. I think they both have sure. kind of the same root source. They both tap into kind of a disaffection, um, a disconnection, a real like what's the right word? Um, just this real dis like being lost or kind of a um, like completely cut out feeling that happens with a, that has happened in recent in recent years recent decade from or for a lot of white men of our generation or younger um mm. i think what what that it, comes kind of the dual otherism right where uh, others are bad and or you feel to your your statement about you know being a disaffected white youth or if you believe you are you are an other uh, society doesn't care about you. What is white privilege? I don't understand that. I'm not doing well. I suck or what, whatever. Yep. Yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. I, I think it's also, it's obviously misplaced. Like we're not condoning or of course we're not saying that that is the correct attitude to have. I, th I think it's, mm -hmm. it's taking the real impacts that some people have of jobs are, re are missing. Jobs have been taken away job and replaced with things that pay lower um, if you're working class, automation. yeah, well, it's, it's not just yeah. automation. It's, they took away union mill jobs and they replaced it with, um, working at mm -hmm. GameStop, working in, in service. And be mm -hmm. because of how that's happened, it hasn't provided the same safety net and the same pay. And it tight, you know, if you, there's a very famous, very, very, I, I have quote tweeted it and, and referred to it so many times but since the night since 1980 um the level of the growth of income and the growth of just capital in its purest sense has exploded and none of it has gone to the the growth of wages has not it is not matched and there's a there's a great book about that that i'll mention too that uh called the unwinding by george packer mm -hmm. and it's shown up on our site before after i recommended it to nick yep 
Um, and he wrote about that in an article comparing it with Persona, which is a very good article mm. you should look up, by the way. Yep. But, but yeah, to your point, a lot of the stories and the narratives in that are exactly that, that since globalization, since the um, um, removal of good-paying white uh, blue-collar jobs, excuse me, in the small towns across America, you know, that has affected people. And I think that, yes, there is absolutely the element, and this was some of the reading I did after the election in 2016, of trying to understand, and they're, they're, this is problematic, there are problems of just trying to understand the angry white man and why they voted for Trump or why they are saying QAnon's real. Like the, It's problematic to just focus on those individuals as the source of the problem and, you know, let's just forget about the voices of color and let's forget about the people that are trying to make society better and, you know, let's just pay attention to white people more than they already are privileged. Yep. That's problematic, yep. but there is a point I think that you're making. So, so that's that's a background, right? Like yeah, exactly. We have this change in our country that people are who may have once had careers, paths to success are disenfranchised in that way. Yep. So that's one piece of it, right? Yep. Like what what else got us here, and how do we tie it to the games portion? I, I have some I th- thoughts. Yeah. But I want to hear what you say. I think it comes into this. This is then, okay, they've got this bubbling source and a lot of it comes into, okay, if, if and it comes into a place that was, was advertised as and generally was more white and male and young. And that's in games fandom. That's, you know, the online places, forums, um, just general discussion and discourse. And that that became a bit of a vanguard because it is so focused on younger white men in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Whether, th- yeah, go. Um, sorry, <laughs> haven't done a podcast in a while, no. so doing the back and forth here is a bit no, tough. You're good. Go ahead with the, uh, what you were thinking on this one as well, Aaron. Well, what I was going to add to what you said is back to games specifically. Yep. Um, Something I want to critique us a little bit, a, a little bit is what we said those six years ago yep. in the old podcast. Um, one of the things that we were talking about is, especially at that time where I think it was a couple of months into the Gamergate issue, um, um, and we had said in that podcast that we want to focus on just the um, ethics part of this, that at the time... You know, not everybody using the hashtag for Gamergate is a bad person, or maybe you know they don't all mean the same thing. Let's not generalize the individuals. Um, you know, I think we might have missed the mark there um, if we are saying that there is a direct connection to then and now with what's happened and what is happening in this country, um, and this kind of rise of this very online motivated, very online using the internet as a weapon. Um, um, alt-right personality that it has been argued by many more people has sort of um, Gamergate was a catalyst for. So again, these things existed, this conservatism, this racism, sexism, misogyny, um, all of this has been in the background, of course, absolutely the fabric of our nation. But what we had said at the podcast at the time was, you know, Maybe not all those, maybe not, they're not all bad people. And we didn't say that in the way that Trump did. Um, but, you know, I think that shows a naivete that everybody in the country had at the time. Yep. That this Gamergate thing happened. Trump had not been elected yet, right? He wasn't even a blip on the radar yet as a candidate. Um, but no. I think all of us, most people, would have thought the same thing. Like, oh, well, this is just a small segment of an online, you know, bunch of whiners, bunch of assholes. These are bad guys. But not everyone's like that. Not every gamer's like that. It'll pass. Yep. And that was something in this article from Vox I mentioned that had, you know, within the year of Gamergate happening, so into 2015, uh, most people thought it was over. It was done. You know, Gamergate's finished. And maybe that's true. But I also think that that's where we start looking at after Gamergate, the mobilized sort of group that had something to latch on to, which was, you know, harassing, threatening women. Mm-hmm. Um Many of them moved into, oh, look, there's a new candidate, Trump, come 2015, who's starting his candidacy by talking about disparaging and being a racist toward Latino and Hispanic people. Um, This is my guy. They're saying, you know, let's follow him. He doesn't give a shit. 
he's a total asshole. I think that there's legitimacy to that. Yep. And then they jumped onto that ship and then it just proceeds. Right. Yeah. That's, I think it's, it's not the same for everybody. Of course, like we're not going to say that every person that we saw storming the Capitol knows who Zoe Quinn or Anita Sarkeesian was or are, Mm -hmm. (laughs) we're not going to say that and make that length of, or make that stretch. But this, it really seems like it was a fomenting ground for a big group and for a big bunch of them, whether directly or loosely, Mm -hmm. and whether that was what they decided to do themselves or whether it was more seasoned, ardent neo-Nazis saying, hey, we tapped gold or, hey, we hit a gusher and you can you can imagine, you know, there will be blood like oil just shooting out of the ground. And they're like, (laughs) oh, my God, we're rich. Um, I think that that was the big mistake we made at the time was like, I'm, I'm, I'm checking the article I wrote in September, 2014, not long afterwards. And I was like, I, if this is what gamers are, then count me out. You know, I'm, I'm still a fan of this and I don't want to, um, you know, I'm not going to identify this and we're going to give them a a two fingered F you and just, you know, ignore it. And that was a mistake that was a real mistake. Um, I think what we need to do now and what a few years of seeing this manifest on a daily basis. And here's where I play with fire just a little bit. Um, this is what we put in our notes before when we're discussing, this is the difference between saying I'm not racist and I'm anti-racist. If that makes sense. Actively. Yes. Right. Isn't there, there, there's an active, portion of that there Um, there's an active pushback there's an active resistance to what's bad whereas saying oh i'm not racist it you can imagine the person who says that right in your in your mind's eye as i say that you know who it is and it's 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 also a sort of privilege to say oh it's not my problem it's all of our problem and so that only the only way it's solved is if we all push back there's there's an element of that naive naivete and that passiveness that as a society uh you're right we've we've all um used as a crutch to immediately even further date this podcast for for the future <laughs> um uh, my wife has been watching the nexium documentaries that are, are, are on hbo and uh showtime and i remember just one of the quotes from one of the people that was in that cult um you know was screaming upset at that time like nobody joins a cult Right. Like nobody joins a cult. And that's true. Just like uh, I'm just trying to make the connection there of, you know, I'm I'm not racist. Nobody says they're racist. Most people don't. Um, And this is part of the systemic issues that we're talking about. Right. Like I'm not racist. But what do you do to this to, um, you know, continue disenfranchising people of color and, and others? Even if you aren't being directly racist, what are you doing to keep these systems um, enforce and what are you doing then to dismantle them if you truly are anti-racist as you yep. said and it yeah it, it goes to the capital and gamergate of um, this passivity those years ago of well those aren't all gamers or not everyone's like that let's just ignore them forget about it and you know maybe maybe something would have changed if there was more activeness i don't know how but would we have gotten to where we are probably because it wouldn't if there wasn't Gamergate, it doesn't mean that there wouldn't have been Trump. Trump would have happened regardless. Yeah. Um, but would it have been as mobile if Gamergate didn't happen as this inflection point right before Trump's rise? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. And I, to a tie in with another um, movement that's happened over the last few, few years, Me Too, you know, women mm-hmm. talking about experiencing sexual harassment, rape, everything else in workplaces and in, in social spheres, it doesn't then say, well, I'm, I don't do that. I'm a man. I haven't done anything bad. I'm a good guy. I'm a good guy. No, you have to, it's, it's your job to correct actions as you see them. If you see somebody or hear somebody making some joke or comment about that, you know, if I know now at 35, what I knew at 20, I would act differently in a lot of different situations. Not necessarily for what I did, but yeah. for seeing and hearing different things at that age, or sixteen, or even twenty-four. But yeah, being aware of your privilege, of your power, especially us as white men, which I don't think we've ever been shy about in our content and our recordings. But 
I think we, you know, we take ourselves to task as much as possible to acknowledge uh, we are aware and we still have more to learn. But like you're saying, yeah, we, there's a difference and that comes with maturity, but I, yeah, it it doesn't, it shouldn't just be that when you're older, you get it, you figure it out. Um, What can I do in my case, having a son, what can I do to raise him now? Um, from the earliest age to have those lessons in mind, to have that wisdom in, in, in parted upon him and not be, yeah, like you're saying 30, 25 or whatever. And, oh, well, I shouldn't make these jokes and it's not okay to just be flipping about these things. Um, even though I'm a quote, good guy, or I'm not that guy or I'm not whatever, like it's, you, you have to do more. You have to be active in your communities to prevent these, these things. Um, I think, yeah. So one of the other points I made in the game, in the article that I wrote so many years ago, um, it's a point that I quote, um, giant bombs, Jeff Gerstmann about, which is, would you want to hang out with somebody who's like their hobby is their entire identity. And that's kind of a shallowness and a real, you know, problem that now apply that to people who play games especially if you <laughs> actually applies really well to the Trump, but crew, here's the, the here's the little, here's a little dark joke you can make is they found an identity. It's just white supremacy. <laughs> it's conservative politics. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not just video games. I, it's everything else. Um, it's, it's hard for me not to see that, 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 that's exactly what happened. That, the, the, especially the people who were brainwashed, converted, recruited into Gamergate um, by, and I could absolutely be misremembering the details from that far back. I didn't do that deep of research before our podcast, but I thought that there were some elements to your earlier uh, statement about, you know, neo-Nazism too, and using the online as a recruiting tool. I felt like there was some connection there at some point or one story that had said, you know, oh, people of the neo-Nazi movement are seeing Gamergate and are trying to recruit yep. young men who yep. are susceptible to that messaging. So absolutely, like um, there is a direct connection to then those people being the supporters of Trump and his movement and his brand and have, you know, now um, broadcast that these last five years, almost six years, really, to lead us to this point. And as you said at the beginning, shocked but not surprised. Yeah. If everything we were told and shown um, about him and his administration and his followers, it was always going to end this way. Um, Gamergate just helped, helped, helped it, maybe not sped it up, but provided a backbone, an undercurrent, yeah. a, a process for those to get involved in this sort of disparaging um, awful way and to use those quote unquote skills that they developed to harass people to then harass the the enemies of Trump and to, to support their guy. Uh, I absolutely think there's a connection for sure. To, to draw a few more connections that are relevant for, I mean, if you're, if you're listening to this podcast, we're assuming that, you know, a little bit about video games and may also likely also following along with the video games industry and how some of the news around video games has been about pushback from fans in so many cases, in a lot of different cases. It's a lot of that has also been against representation or, mm-hmm. or kind of anytime you're hearing complaints about PC culture, it's just trying to open up representation in, in a lot of cases. Um, I'm sorry we didn't. And who would welcome those people in to their fold that have problems like that. Yeah. Who exactly would be their friends, right? Well, I think the point I'm trying to draw together is we've seen how first candidate Trump was openly misogynistic and racist and the news networks ate it with two hands and pretended to be so shocked and outraged by that. But nothing happens. It's news. Yeah. You know, it's just his point of view. And then you see more and more happen that doesn't get any sort of censure. And then you see, remember, this the news cycle of the last 12 months or 13 months has been so fast, you forget that Trump has already been impeached once. And as we're speaking <laughs> on the weekend of January 9th and 10th, um, there, there's a very good chance that he gets impeached in the future. 
mm-hmm. which would be some you know huge high score for presidential presidential impeachment. But for what he yeah, that's unprecedented, right? Completely unprecedented, completely. Yeah. But <laughs> not just with Trump and what he said and did to incite this, but with some representatives and senators that were also very complicit with trying to foment and poke the fires a little bit here there we can't get too political but there has to be some sort of pushback because you cannot allow somebody to keep saying this part loud this quiet part loud and to play to keep playing the dog whistle like it's a big band like it's swing music and not have any repercussions and that's what we've seen also from gamergate it's what we've seen from Mm -hmm. or gamers behaving badly i think gamergate itself is is done like that whole that strain or that specific topic is done but we've seen in too many times in the last couple of years you know the the pushback against sonic the hedgehog movie and the character designs was that a rational mob was that a rational mm-hmm. group of people it's an online mob or the cases where there's other pushback against Nintendo making changes to games from a Japanese release to an American release it's censorship no it's not it's an artistic design change and to to clarify something you said really quickly, like yes, the Gamergate hashtag is dead. Yes. Of course, we would we would both acknowledge that harassment and sexism and death threats against women yes. still, of course, happen yes. every day in every way in the industry and outside of it. But to your point, yeah, the the lessons learned from Gamergate that the movement itself is quote unquote it's retired. Don't need to quote that. Uh, it's retired, but yes, those lessons that they learned have been moved on to outrage culture in general. That we don't like this thing, like you said, Sonic, or it's this other thing, or this character that was white is now a person of color, and while we hate that, we should really tell the company, or we should get James Gunn fired for uh, you know all these people are going to get fired. And yes, there are the legitimate aspects that involve me too and cancel culture when it's applicable, but. Yeah, I, I understand what you're well, saying. I, I'm trying sure. to avoid certain buzzwords, like looking at the complaints about the Spider-Man or um, Spider-Man from a couple of years ago on PlayStation 4. Oh, the puddles aren't there. The puddles aren't right. Are you mm-hmm. fucking kidding me about the puddles? This is an artistic design change from a game developer. These things happen. But the but the trailer at E3 had those reflections, Doug. I was promised reflections. In yeah. a certain way, this is also this is also customer service gone completely horribly wrong. Because they're anybody who's in charge there is so afraid of losing customers that they're not gonna say, no, fuck off. It's it's power, right? Yeah. All of this is about power. It's it's an entitlement factor of power as a consumer, like you just said. Um, and of course, games are still a consumer product in a very specific way. Like we we talked about this in the original podcast about Gamergate in 2014, but you know, review scores. No one scores the a 7.6 on a movie, right? I think we said something exactly like that. So yes, the consumerism is still there, and that hasn't changed in the intervening seven, oh six years since we recorded that. Do you want to talk about the um, outrage of from December, <laughs> from from three years ago in December, about the game that hadn't even nobody had even played, but they were convinced it's a ten out of ten, and then it turns into an absolute janky mess. Yeah, Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven. Yeah, I, I, we we can touch on so many other the, parts of that, but just the fact that you have reviewers who have the copy of the game and are playing the game. And you have people online in some form or another staring them down, screaming them down that they are wrong when they haven't even touched the product. And right. how did that happen with Star Wars? And they want to feel powerful. How about they want to feel? Are you talking about the the recent movies, yeah, the, the Star Wars movies? There's something very toxic, not just in some parts of fan culture, but in American culture. There's a great long article oh. I read recently about it was um, the customer is not always right. Or I'll, I'll double check what the title is in one moment. Um, yeah, we'll put links in the uh, post once this goes live. But it's talking sure. about the 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 details and the issues that yeah the customer is not always right. It's actually by Food and Wine magazine, <laughs> but it's a great long story about just entitlement. People thinking, or the the top of the article is is somebody in at a steakhouse in New York City, and somebody saying, "I can't sit outside. I'm wearing Gucci." 
maybe this is it, i think we're making a good case here though right yeah. like about this at this aspect of entitlement and power of i want to maintain the status quo yeah and whatever that means to you is it a consumer product like a game whose review score you don't like because you've wrapped in your identity to cyberpunk in that example are you the um the foodie who is gone to uh you know buy expensive wine at this restaurant and you're told you know whatever this this aspect of we as humans we do want control we all want control in our own lives but this perversion of this concept of power which also ties into privilege and we go back to talking like we did at the beginning of the history of this country and you know the people who are in power or who wield power use it to maintain um, what works for them and that's obvious anybody who uh, has had to be oppressed under our system understands that we're not telling them something they they don't know yep. but i think you know i think we we're making a fair enough case in terms of the connection between what started with Gamergate, where we've ended up this week at the Capitol, and the various systems that were in play to make that all happen. Yep. And that, that aspect of the wrong, uh, bad actors wielding power in a way to, and entitlement to try to get their way to say, literally, they are entitled to, they're thinking they're entitled to say that the election didn't happen the way it happened. I want to exert my power to change that, to say that no, Trump won, Biden didn't. Um, I'm entitled to that. I will do whatever it takes to make that reality. And yeah, that that ties into those worst elements of the game industry of review scores, of previews, of promises, of consumerism. It's all the same shitty coin, all sides of that. So I think we're making that case. But what I'm curious from you uh, to hear from you is you know, what, what happens now? Like, is what happened at the Capitol actually going to change anything? If we've, if we're following our own argument during this podcast, you know, the game industry itself hasn't really even changed in the last seven years. In some ways it's gotten worse since we last recorded and talked about Gamergate. So like, um, you know, what, what has been done, what can be done? Is there anything even in the short term when we're hearing about, um, sort of the what what I'm a little frustrated about the bans of Trump, the news media choosing not to finally cover certain things or from platforms to deplatform this guy, you know, all of that is great, but it obviously is something that could have been done from the beginning, but they chose not to until now. But does that even make a difference? Does all the deplatforming make a difference going forward? Um, I, th- I it it obviously does as long as it's not then retroactively turned over or as long as there's repercussions that stick. Um, I'm still worried that Trump himself will not face repercussions. And I, I worry about that specifically because one thing that's been a thread in my mind this year is that symbols and some theatrical actions actually do matter. Um, to, to put it in context, we've been dealing with a global pandemic. Look at some of the countries, I can name a few, that have done well, and you see strong leadership. And sometimes all that leadership is is strong messaging and somebody being able to stand up and say, this is what we're doing. No more, no less. If you want to be charitable to Trump, he didn't do anything. In fact, in, in a lot of places, then he made it worse. And that's without any of the other statements, anything else that's happened. There's just been, from the start, there was a real vacuum at the federal level in the US. Trump saying, my name's Paul, that's on y'all, to all the states of the US on terms of controlling and maintaining this. And at the basic level, having all these different responses has made it harder. If if we had a normal bland president if we had you know obama if we had biden if we had even george w bush at the helm they would have been more ready or more able to stand up and say this is how we're doing it we'll get through it together and mm-hmm. just that symbolic piece is enough to help bring people together so yes it may not make any grand difference in the grand scheme of things if donald trump is not impeached but to continue to have high profile issues not given high profile 
reactions and repercussions is dangerous. That's what's led us here. Nobody's taking a stand and saying, no, you stop right now and stop that. To, To whether we're talking about Gamergate, to whether we're talking about what's been happening with the right wing and complete lunacy in the U.S., Nobody ever, or not not enough people. I think some people probably not, said that. Not right? enough people not in enough. power. Not enough people in power. Yeah. Because what they're what Facebook and Twitter move in lockstep about doing things like banning Trump because they're afraid of of having business affected by being the one who does or the one who does not. Odd man out. Yeah. It's it, it was like a market based decision. It is a cold say. business market based decision. It is looking at lines yeah. on the chart. It's not looking at what's right or what's wrong. If I can, I want to add and see what you think about this. Um, I, I have sort of a dour, it feels like, future prediction. Um, you know, this podcast hasn't been about our own catharsis as two liberal guys um, to try to justify what's where things have come from, to justify ourselves, to get ourselves off the hook by any means. But... Um, why I think it's dour is that, and you know, we own this as um, stewards of our own friends and communities and groups where we can. Um, but it, obviously, this doesn't end with the capital. Um, in some ways, I think you'll have people that are even more in, uh, encouraged um, by what they will see as a victory of what happened, um, that they can make change happen using those methods um, and a, a caught off guard, uh, apparently, police force and yada, yada, and so on. They, they can see this as a opportunity to, to push things further. Um, others won't do that, but uh, obviously won't have their minds changed. And now, even all the stories that have happened this week of these Republicans are now very upset at Trump and they really think he did a bad thing or, well, I guess everyone, we, we went too far. Um, yes, there will be some of that too, but also I don't think enough. So even if the deplatforming happens, and even if it was from Facebook and Twitter, like you said, that cold business decision, um, these people won't disappear. They, they will go away. Maybe the optimistic thing is that Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, etc., won't allow these sorts of Gamergate-esque, Trump-esque, um, hate speech protect that speech because people complain about it being free speech. Maybe they won't allow that. Maybe they will crack down in the future and and try to prevent that harassment before it even begins. Let's be optimistic about that. But the communities themselves, where are they just going to go? Even if Parler, the alt, alt-right famous sort of Twitter alternative, is being removed from hosting right now, won't they just find something else? Won't they just build something else? They'll always find somewhere to go and to perpetuate this that core won't ever be um wiped clean but do maybe we are in in an optimistic upside of a new administration coming in of having that leadership that's been lacking like you're saying joe biden whatever you think of him will at least have that consistent messaging about the pandemic about the country and where we're at and will have that sort of normalcy in that way but maybe the platforms that have allowed so many of these movements to grow into what they've become will actually maintain the backbone that they've suddenly found the last two weeks of Trump's presidency. Yeah. I don't know. I I agree because you know, despite best efforts from after World War II, there's you know there's still Nazis. There's still people that cling on to that. Yeah. There's still people that cotton on to that, take that into themselves and their being. But yeah, and anti-Semitism has been there since like the day. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's Jews were born. Yeah. Like, yeah. But I feel like, okay, let's talk about parlor. Um, if you get rid of all the neo-Nazis on Twitter and there are people that go over, you, it's taking away the megaphone and giving them a smaller one. And there is a peel off of a certain number of people that otherwise probably wouldn't care as much or don't engage to. And, and this was, this was mm-hmm. the big problem. I, I can connect this also to Trump. Trump, and not having repercussions about saying that, you know, all the horrible things about black and brown people early on as candidate and in his administration. There was no censure. There was no backlash or actual proper response to that, which meant other people could say, hey, the president said it. I can say it, too. <laughs> you, you've seen it a yeah. lot more than I have. 
I haven't seen it nearly as much, but it's been worrying when I have. People have been allowed to show their whole ass out in public the last four years. So it's been normalized. Yes, it's been normalized to to far too great an extent. So okay, wh- whatever they may have in their closet or in their hearts, that at least you can get rid of it from discourse, and from common just the normal life, you can get rid of it. You can get people to take a couple steps back and get rid of it. If you you know playing the hypothetical game, if all the Republicans came out today and said, okay, this stops here. We disavow this. We're not doing this any farther. We're going to censure the president he, you know, to put blame on just the president and save their own asses. But if they did it all in lockstep, yeah, you'd probably lose. There would still be people who cling on to the QAnon theories and all that stuff, but you'd lose the vast majority. There, you, you can't get rid of yeah. all, the, the, all the sparks. You can get, there'd still be a couple little embers. But you'll get rid of genies out of the bottle, right? You'll, you'll, yeah. Well, I mean, same as again, Nazis. There's been Nazis forever, but if you normalize them creeping in, then there's going to be more and more people that just follow. That, yeah, you have a point. Uh, the last four years, that normalization um, has become to the point where now it's like, well, that side is a valid political party, valid political thought. Let's not offend what is the valid other than the democratic perspective. Um, you know, yes, there's gradients in between on both sides, but yeah, t- to see that perversion of you know what wasn't a great party to begin with, in my opinion, the Republicans, but um, to see that perversion from just well, we we hate gay people to well, we actually hate. Um, here's our laundry list. We're going to disenfranchise them even more. We're going to be outwardly aggressive to them. We hate this. And that, like that, that Trumpism, um, it has been allowed to become just the quote alternative. It's like the only other option and that has been normalized. So yeah, the party, the, the party isn't going to be saved. There are people in Congress, um, the Senate, of course, who during this, uh, what we talked about at the beginning, this whole counting of the votes of the Electoral College that finally was able to happen after the, the Capitol was secured. A hundred plus in the House uh, uh, Republicans and I think six instead of 14 original senators were, were uh, before the riot had said that they would object to the Electoral College votes in this process six in the end rather than 14 did but still that's six that's still a hundred representatives there's still this part of the party that will exist after trump's gone his fans will obviously they're not going to just disappear um after they're gone but yeah maybe maybe and this is maybe where we can start wrapping it up is maybe where we we can have that a bit of optimism um and again we are two white guys you know, we we have the luxury of having some optimism, I think. Um, so let's acknowledge that. But if the platforms themselves continue to apply the ban hammer to these communities and these accounts and these ideas, and they, they force the rats to scurry into their hole of whatever platform will take them or whatever third-rate Twitter app exists, yes, the normalization, I think, gets pulled back a bit. The susceptible people who have been resharing, you know, stupid racist memes on Facebook will exist, but it'll probably be less Trump racist memes. Um, and maybe we aren't getting as many eyeballs onto these concepts. And, you know, that doesn't fix racism, doesn't end. Um, sexism doesn't end. But let's hope that this is a movement is waning because many people with their heads screwed on right have seen what's happened this week, have seen where this has led us and go, you know what, we have to take more action. We can't just be passive like we've been talking about. And we aren't going to give them a place on our platform now that it is a prudent market business decision to not allow this to the point you made earlier. Uh, We're not going to let that happen anymore. So sorry, but that's it. Yes, it came at the end of his presidency, came far too late, um, but maybe this is a optimistic way forward, and maybe the discourse changes, and we can get to focusing on the work of being those active good stewards of our community and our country. I don't know. Yeah, the despite what's happened this year, um, I take optimism from 
just right right away. Um, some of the senators who have spoken out, they were rebuked by their local papers. Okay, how how big is a local opinion page for you know Houston? But Houston Chronicle saying that Senator Cruz needs to step down, that's not nothing. That's that's a positive step towards accountability. Mm-hmm. Um, and the big the big reason why I'm positive is seeing the reactions to a lot of the protests last year and that even in the midst of a white insurrection attempt a coup attempt uh i were i learned the word autogolpe last week because uh, a coup incited by the sitting government is called an autogolpe because a lot of other places have vocabulary for this that we don't as americans um <laughs> but in the midst of that people were making the point that is completely or they're making the point if this had been a protest of black and brown people, black and brown Americans going into the Capitol the same way, there would have been bloodshed at a mass level. Mm-hmm. Hundreds, if not thousands of casualties. That's, that's, that's what would have happened because we've seen that reaction since 2013, 2014. Uh, I like to look back at, not positively, but I look back at seeing the reaction to protests in Ferguson after the death of a young black boy, black man there. And seeing the National Guard rolling with tanks versus what has happened in other, you know, right-wing white uprising and events. And now people are seeing that difference clearly after what's happened last year and after this terrible incident in Washington, D.C. That that has come into the discourse at this level is it's not great that we're having these events happen, but it's positive that that has now gotten to that point. That's what gives me some hope and positivity for the future. I think even the Democrats are seeing that impeachment or not or sitting on impeachment, not doing anything is going to be costly for them. They, they don't like doing the costly things. So hopefully that puts a light on their rear end tomorrow. But I think it's got to take and, and to, to circle it back to games, this has to take a shouting down in our country of these opinions and facts and to make it normal that you can tell Nazis to fuck off once more because they've been allowed to be normalized for too many years. And that's the lesson that we have to learn from Gamergate as well is it's a small vocal minority. So shout them down. That's what none of the press outlets did until it was too late. When they first saw these things, they covered it as news and it was both sides, which is the unfortunate aspect of handling news stories. None of, if, if, if the month after the first stories came up, if they had said, we are not allowing this on our platforms in Kotaku comments, Polygon comments, wherever. And if Twitter had said, we are not going to allow this hashtag to continue, we would maybe not be here today, which is sad that all that's connected to video games. But that response to just harassment, I'm not, I'm trying to make it as apolitical as possible. But it seems like the right has a has a harassment problem. That's not political. That is coming from people of that allegiance. Uh, objectivity uh, can be wielded as a weapon. Yeah, we've seen yeah. the last several years, and fear and fear of a publication, a business, um, um, being taken to the woodshed because they stand up to bullies as um that has been a theme the last several years and i think to to what you're saying i think that that will change in small part not probably enough to fix everything of course but i i think that there is now uh because of what happened at the capitol there is less fear from at least some of these businesses to to offend that other side yeah um and something else you said and i think where we could uh, leave that maybe for our conversation today is uh, Nazi punks fuck off in the immortal words. Um, <laughs> Just throwing the birds <laughs> up. Threw up both birds. So, yes, um, always fuck Nazis, fuck anybody um, of that ilk. Um, you know, there's always more work to do, um, there's always more uh, to be an active participant. Um, in your your life and the people around you, your work, your job, uh, or your your volunteering, your family, your friends. There's always something to do, especially if you have that privilege to to improve the world around you. Keep that in mind. Um, 
and yeah, we're, it's a process. And so, yeah, any final parting words? Doug? Yeah. Um, I think as part of this, this post, we will put together a couple of other links that we've, we've been discussing beforehand. I, I, I missed getting to one of them, which is, um, hosted on SB nation. It was, uh, John Boyce and Felix Biederman, also of Chapo Trap House podcast, they did Fighting in the Age of Loneliness, which is a video series that um, it's about two hours of a video. And while it is about the history of MMA, it's also about what it is to be a white man in the 2000s and in the era of the Iraq War. And it speaks to a lot of the disaffection that I mentioned earlier that I think is at the root of this. So if you want to find out and learn a bit more about where that came from, then listen to that, or we can provide the link, take, take that as a view or take that as a watch and check that out as well. Um, otherwise I think studying history and listening to the people who are experts of history right now is a good thing to do because history may not rhyme or may not, um, may not repeat, but it certainly rhymes. It certainly makes the same sounds again and again. I hope that we're not in a dangerous place, but I fear that we are. I'm, I'm worried that we are at a place where, you know, the the overextended imperial comp, um, imperial power has its, what it finds on the outskirts come back to the capital. And then we saw that literally at the capital. Yeah, I do too. Well said. So... I, I think okay. I think if we leave you with anything else, it's that we have seen reason to be optimistic, and if you if you see, you know, keep people accountable. If that's inside of your circle of friends, if uh, whether that's in person or online, uh, whether you're in gaming circles and see people ch- shouting down the women, shouting down the women or the non-white people in the group, just one person standing up is enough to stop it snowballing and same thing with politics if it's harder to engage some people sometimes but telling somebody that what they're believing is is awful and false and incorrect you know there's there's or always punch nazis that's kind of a good rule to have you're generally on the right side of history with that one um but just fight the power and Nazi punks fuck off. Yeah, nobody's <laughs> going to save you. So we're going to have to save ourselves. And the more and the better we fight back is the lesson that really I want people to take away and what we've learned. It's it's not good enough to be not racist. It's not good enough to be not fascist. You have to be anti. You have to be you have to stand against and maybe that hurts and maybe it's not as much effort as people want to make, but that's the truth. We have to stand against it. And the more people we have, the easier it becomes. We're, there's more of us and we're bigger than them. So I guess that's all we need to keep going on for that. Especially you. You're a very tall man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, <laughs> thank you, Doug, for joining me. Um, I appreciate this discussion. I think um, there there's always more to talk about. Maybe we can, um, you know, find more avenues through this. I think it's important to to keep having these discussions even on a games podcast on a games website and to analyze the culture in which we choose to cover and participate and even uh continue to create content for that we do for free in our free time right i think even then there's there's a way for us to discuss why we want to even bother with these people so and look all right well thank you doug oh yeah you want to say one final 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 thought? thought um we do want to we we've done a lot of the game of the year stuff and we enjoy doing that coming together at the end of the year we do want to produce more content for siliconsasquatch.com both blogs and occasionally podcasts hopefully we increase that number this year um sometimes it means talking about pot talking about politics for about an hour <laughs> hopefully we can get back to discussing what we found and what we've seen and how we've enjoyed games in other ways as well so and it's, mm-hmm. it's not quite the very special episode but i think hopefully we don't have to <laughs> The, the last thing I, we have one of these every few years the last so. thing i want to do is be another white dude in a politics podcast there's already too many yeah 
and we will provide a long list now. Uh, all right. Well, thank you, Doug. Uh, we'll leave it there. Yep. Um, as you said, you can find us and our uh, written content at siliconsasquatch.com. Um, we are on those platforms that you know I personally don't even bother with anymore, but we've got Facebook. We've got Twitter at Sasquatch Gaming. I think we're on Instagram still, though we don't really use it. You know, you can find us. Um, we hopefully will be back with more podcasts, as Doug said soon. Uh, Doug, where can people find you online? Oh, don't, don't worry. Um, don't bother. Don't bother. Great. Well, I, you know, I want to make use of Sasquatch Gaming. Um, otherwise, it's just I'm yet another white dude posting and yelling about left wing stuff on Twitter. So don't worry about it. Um, but yeah, we great. We, you can find him at <laughs> white <laughs> white liberal at uh, on Twitter. Uh, yeah, I honestly I don't even use Twitter anymore either. So you can find me on our website. That's the best place to find us. Um, thank you, everybody. Um, stay tuned, and thank you for listening. Cheers.